0: hi my name is will merrick you may know me from my work on searching and missing and this is kyle on the Isle.
1: And welcome to Kyle on the Isle. I'm Kyle Olson. In today's episode, we are thrilled to spotlight Will Merrick, the creative force behind the editing of Searching and the co direction of Missing. These films, notable for their innovative use of the found footage style, have redefined narrative storytelling in the digital age. Searching, a gripping tale of a father's search for his missing daughter, unfolds entirely through digital screens offering a unique cinematic experience. Following this, Missing further explores this distinctive storytelling approach, cementing Merrick's status as a visionary in modern filmmaking. Before diving into this episode, I highly recommend watching Searching and Missing, because doing so will immensely enhance your appreciation of our discussion and provide a deeper understanding of this groundbreaking work. So join us as we explore the fascinating world of Will Merrick, a master of blending technology and narrative to create compelling cinematic experiences. And action! Will Merrick, welcome to Kyle on the Isle. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Kyle. Thank you so much for having me. It's amazing to be here. Well, we have so much to talk to you about. Talk about uh, a filmmaker who is really taking risks and trying new things and kind of pushing the boundaries of our medium. I saw the movie missing not that long ago, like so many other people did. And I was actually working in Atlanta at the time. And I remember sitting in the theater. And as soon as the film was done, I was like, damn, I want whoever worked on this, to be on the podcast. And so to have you here is really exciting because I can't wait to pick your brain as to how that production and many of the other things you've touched have come together. But I'd like to kind of start at the beginning, like we always do with a little bit of an origin story and kind of gain a little understanding into how you got into this crazy world we call showbiz. What was it for you? Was it something at a young age that spoke to you? Were there movies that you were watching that really inspired you? What was it that initially got you interested in the biz? You know, the, the story
0: my mom kind of told me was she took me to see Tarzan. I was like a tiny little kid, and so I wasn't feeling the romance. So then she took me across the aisle to see Star Wars The Phantom Minutes. <laughs> and then uh, I became obsessed with making a lightsaber
1: fight. Oh, that's amazing.
0: So, you know, I had to learn Adobe Photoshop. It was kind of like in that era in the 90s and early 2000s when you didn't have like phones and TikTok stuff. But I was every frame I would just do. So I was already learning like VFX and kind of just obsessed with that stuff. But obviously that was like one little seed, but it grew so far beyond that. I just was obsessed with things like Pirates of the Caribbean and like National Treasure as a kid. And then at some point I discovered like randomly the AFI Top 100. And that sounded very legit to me. So then I started seeing better movies and it all just made me really want to be a part of
1: it. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So you go from kind of watching these movies growing up, making some of your own little movies on the side and lightsaber battles. What was the catalyst from there to kind of get you in the industry? What were some of your first experiences working in Tinseltown?
0: I guess like working as an editor. So I was doing commercials and music videos because i've always been big on like after effects and premiere and just kind of creating things these two incredibly talented filmmakers anish shaganti and sevahanian were writing this script called searching and i had edited some stuff with them before and so they needed an editor basically and i just had this skill that allowed me to be helpful i guess it wasn't even a big production It was a tiny nothing production until it like got into Sundance and got a sale. And it blew up into what
1: Searching became. Yeah.
0: Wow. We had no idea that was going to be anything, really.
1: It was just a tiny indie thing. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) Now, did you prior to this and when you were kind of dabbling with the editing, did you ever go to film school and all that? Or did you just kind of take the dive and say, I'm getting into this. I'm going to teach myself how to edit and do the visual effects and just kind of go from there. Mm -hmm.
0: I went to USC. There's a million different paths, but that's what I did. And that is how I lucked into meeting all these like really talented people. But then, you know, I wouldn't say you learn a ton necessarily in film school as much as you just kind of meet <laughs> really, really
1: talented people yeah, and get to work with them. And everybody's very excited. Yeah. Okay. So you go to school, you learn a little bit of editing, but more networking maybe than actual learning and gaining the experience. And then shortly thereafter, this kind of indie project lands on your table that is searching Mm -hmm. and you came on as editor. Yes. And it grew kind of slowly. I had just done like a Google spot with this director
0: before. And then we made like a five minute proof of concept that was just a fake trailer almost. And then when we found out it was a real movie, you know, it was all sold on computer screens. So we were thinking, are we working on this kind of like gimmicky idea? And so we were very kind of like, it cannot be that way. It has to be something more. It has to be something special. And then when John Cho agreed to be in the movie, suddenly mm. we were like, wait a second. Are we
1: making like a, a real movie? <laughs> <laughs> These kids out of USC wondering if this is actually a real thing now. Yeah. And not just some <laughs> short little budget. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a
0: scary feeling because I was like, you know, am I ready for this? And just the feeling that we had to, like, not drop the ball on this because a real actor was involved now. And then, I mean, we spent almost two years editing that movie because it was all told through computer screens and practically animated. But uh, it all
1: paid off. Yeah, it it sure did. It definitely (laughs) all paid off. So this must have been a rather daunting experience because when you get a big name like John... To come on to a project that is, for all intents and purposes, a little indie project, right? That must have, A, obviously raised the stakes and is like kind of everything you always dream of. But at the same time, like the pressure cooker has just gotten hotter, right? Like now yes. you yes. really got to perform. And it sounds like most of you were still very young in your filmmaking careers. So that must have been a very interesting dynamic on set. I mean, as the editor
0: on that one, I've definitely had exactly this experience of being on set and kind of feeling like everybody else there knows what they're saying more than me. But um, <laughs> I actually was barely on set during searching because I was getting okay. the dailies. A funny right. thing, I feel like I had this with an issue directed that I would always get these dailies. And I'd be like, man, these idiots don't know what they're doing. They should give this note. Having, I was like armchair quarterbacking the dailies. Almost. Oh, sure. And yeah, then when I get a chance to like actually direct, I'm just making way more terrible mistakes on a day-to-day <laughs> basis. <laughs> it's it's a humbling experience to suddenly be the director after
1: being an editor just kind of peanut gallerying someone else's dailies. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I'm glad you brought this up because what I think searching did that made it the success that it was, obviously one of many things, is the fact that it wasn't kitschy. It was at the time exactly how we used technology, right? It's all this found footage, it's the screens, the security camera, use of Skype and all that kind of stuff. Whatever the technologies were of the time a few years back that we were using, that was what was being used to drive this story. And so how did you figure out a way? It sounds like, I mean, two years in post is obviously a very long time for a movie to be in post. So how did that process go? And was there a lot of this kind of trial and error to figure out what worked and what didn't work and what was kitschy and what wasn't? Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, there were lots of ideas that didn't
1: work and lots of things we
0: never imagined that did. I kind of feel like we are getting used to these movies told through computer screens now because some of these ideas don't seem and all surprising now but at the right. time we started working on it i don't know if anyone had ever actually just cut from somebody's facetime yeah. window to somebody else's facetime window as a shot reverse like right. all the other films had either stayed in a wide the whole time or has the camera had kind of zipped and zoomed around the screen and so I, I do feel like as we were editing like everybody the producers director everybody was in the room and we were all kind of going, what if you tried this? Because at first the whole movie just looked like a bunch of wide shots of a computer screen. That was never the
1: end goal, but we never realized how far we would end up from that point when we started, I don't think. Right, interesting. Again, one of the kind of reasons I'm most excited to have you here (laughs) and to kind of pick your brain is because I remember watching Searching and kind of what you just said is that I never remember seeing anything like that beforehand. And even as we were kind of doing some research before you joined us this evening and doing our homework, so to speak, I was trying to figure out if there was something kind of like this before. And the answer was not really. Like you guys kind of defined this in a way. And you're absolutely right. There've been many since then that have done similar kind of ideas, but you in many ways wrote the book. And I know I've been on projects where when you write the book, there are some things that are very exciting about that. And there are some things that are very frustrating about that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah one of my favorite quotes is walt disney he once said it's kind of fun to do the impossible and i feel like maybe that quote should actually say it's kind of fun to have done the impossible because the doing (laughs) isn't always the most fun yeah i'm curious what were some of the biggest challenges that you had while you guys were writing the book on this
0: wow that's a really really good question there was obviously just a, a technical hurdle our pipeline involved kind of taking the movie just from premiere and into After Effects. And then when we rendered our first stuff out of After Effects, it just wouldn't render. Oh my gosh. And so for a second, we thought it was like checkmate and we would have to go remake the movie with some completely different workflow. So there was stuff like that. And believe wow. it or not, we had more stuff like that in Missing. We thought we had nailed a perfect workflow, but the software changes and things change. And so we've always had a hard time just rendering this movie. <laughs> I think on set, there's also huge blocking challenges with how there's always that one scene that you can't figure out how to show through a computer screen that's like crucial to the plot. And you don't want any scene to be bringing down the believability of what you're seeing on the computer.
1: Right. Interesting. And so how do you go about that? I know you weren't on set for that, but like when you were part of this process, were there a lot of pickup shots that happened after the fact because you would kind of learned that, oh, this does work or this doesn't work. So we need to go back and get it from this angle instead. Or was it mostly you had what you had to work with and you just kind of made it work? There were a little bit of pickups, but that actually opens a really interesting thing I've forgotten to bring up, which is that
0: we began the edit on the movie on Searching and later on Missing, almost like two months before physical production. So by the time we went into physical production, there was a cut of the movie that was all just people taking screenshots of their faces, almost as a really advanced kind of storyboard or animatic. Sure. So that really minimized the amount of pickups and changes that needed to happen later because basically you're just gathering assets to fill in these little windows the answers to as simple of questions as you know are we in these vertical frames are we in a horizontal long frame and so it was nice to go in knowing that although facetime changed its layout after we were done so we had to go recrop all of our shots to
1: it to match the updated facetime app It's funny because that was actually going to be one of my questions is, and I know that like from searching to missing, this was something that you noticed that like in searching, there's more of the things that we're using a few years ago, which it was more Skype heavy and that kind of thing in missing. It's obviously more FaceTime driven and zoom and those sort of things. And so I definitely noticed just as a audience member that you have evolved with the technology. Part of that is because also just simply put the technology evolves, but did that in itself pose challenges when you were working on these projects?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, half of the opportunities for missing almost come from things that changed since surging. But right. you definitely feel that you're chasing it at, as you, you don't want to release a movie that is already based on an outdated operating system. Right. So as you're finishing the movie, that's definitely like on your mind. Now that it's out, I love the idea that it's this time capsule that people yes. will just be transported back to 2018 or 2022 or, or whenever each movie is set, you know?
1: Yeah. It's funny. When I was in the theater, I was with a friend of mine and I said, man, it would be so cool if they did one of these, but as like a prequel almost that happened back when like AIM was big and like the, you know, the dawn of the internet when we were all on all these messaging programs that are completely different than obviously what was featured in Searching.
0: It would be so hard.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It would be
0: such a challenge. You could never yeah. see
1: anybody. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a very different kind of movie. That's for sure. <laughs> so when Searching came out, here you are, you're getting asked to come in and do this independent film and you get this huge name to come be a part of this. You go through the collaborative two-year process to get this film out. You, 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 you fight against the fact that Apple put out a new OS and all this kind of stuff yeah, in yeah. the meantime, you finally release the film. The reaction to searching was incredible. Was this at all what you had expected? What was that journey like in taking what was initially this small indie film that was like, Yeah, sure, I'll go work on this too? Holy cow, we have a Hollywood blockbuster on our hands.
0: Yeah. Of course you always hope on everything you work on that something like that will happen, but I had assumed it would take yeah. at least a few movies. <laughs> it was rejected from Toronto, so we were really upset about that. But then it got into Sundance, so it was like an emotional roller coaster almost. Sure, Sundance was one of the most incredible experiences ever to be there with a movie. Being there with that movie
1: as an editor felt as cool as anything that happened after missing as a director. Tell me why. Because you hear all the time about Sundance, like it's the filmmaker's dream. But like, what is it about Sundance that was so special and for your experience? I felt like I did have a lower
0: stress experience as an editor because nobody was really paying as much attention. So I could kind of observe a little bit more, which I found to be a good thing. But I I don't know, like we were really young and I felt like there was this suddenly this feeling that people are going to take us seriously now, Mm. that we made something people are actually going to want to enjoy That like, you know, all of our families are going to be definitely proud of us now. Not just being nice. Like there's this feeling of like we did it, that it it doesn't feel like a job. It feels like you really pulled something off. Yeah. So that was really cool. And then I also remember after Sony bought the movie, they did one test screening and I'd never been to like one of those big research group test screenings before where they have a ton of people in, but Everybody was saying, you know, oh, get ready. Like, these are brutal. These are terrible. It's going to be a nightmare. You're going to have to go change everything. And we had already done final graphics. So we were thinking, are we going to be on this for another year? And then it tested wow. so well. And I don't think tests tell you everything. But sure, boy, when it tested that well, it was an incredible moment.
1: It was That's absolutely amazing. Marketing people care a lot about that. So, right. If they think it's going to do well, then they're going to put more behind it to make it a bigger splash. Yeah. The kind of takeaway from all these moments is that these were just extremely validating moments, especially in a young filmmaker's career, right? What do you think was the most validating moment of that process? Was it Sundance or was it a different point? It probably was Sundance. I love coming on here and just talking about
0: this and not just the brutal moments of defeat felt along the way, (laughs) but you get to
1: just share this moment of success with the world. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because obviously whenever you talk and like you do commentaries Mm -hmm. and you do the Q and A's and all that, just like in any good movie, you want to hear the arc. You want to see the struggle. You want to see like, what were the hard parts and all that kind of stuff. But I do think that it's something, and it's something I do pride ourselves on this podcast of kind of focusing on at times is that we want to celebrate the wins. The wins are why we do this. I think this industry is so addictive and it's partially because (laughs) when you feel what you felt at Sundance or even what you felt in that test screening, that's almost like a drug. And you search for that feeling again and again, time and time after, because that feeling is unlike almost anything. It's very hard to describe the people that aren't in the industry. And so that's why I'm so interested to kind of learn a little bit Mm -hmm. about this kind of celebration that was Sundance, partially because of that kind of drug-like high that you go on. But also there's so many times that we hear filmmakers talk about submitting the festivals and the dream is Sundance and all that. And we rarely hear about, well, what, what, what was it like? You, you see it, oh, it went to Sundance and oh, this and that. Yeah. But like, what was it really like from the filmmaker's perspective? So it's interesting yeah. to me to kind of hear part of that journey. Was there something at Sundance that surprised you? Boy, uh, there were a couple of times, you know, you sort of show up
0: and nobody really knows what any of the movies are. Right. And then some of them start being talked about. And I remember hearing it brought up by people who had no idea that me or Nick, who I was with, like worked on it. Just hearing everybody talk about these movies and hearing your own one come up is, was a super, super weird moment. There was also, uh, somebody told us if people in the last act in the last 20 minutes or so, if people get up and walk out, they're not upset. They are They're trying to buy it. They're trying to just get a quick jump on buying oh. the movie before it's even over. So then a couple of people walked out and I was so, so glad somebody had told me this because I would have been crushed had I known because I was sitting there <laughs> thinking that everybody probably even guessed the twist. Is this even playing at all? Just very nervous. And then people start walking out. And so I'm thinking oh good they're going to
1: (laughs) make some calls (laughs) oh that's very interesting yeah yeah that's something that i would have probably freaked out at too is like oh my god they're all leaving because they're gonna go get in line for the next film or something but no yeah actually this is a good thing you want to see this yeah fascinating and it was because of sundance that ultimately the film got bought and distributed the way it was right like that's the moment that it really yeah that was kind of the launching pad yeah incredible So you finish searching. Searching is this huge success. There's another movie that you do shortly thereafter called Run that you're also an editor on. Right. And then a little while thereafter, Missing comes along. But this time you're not the editor. You're a co-director. Talk to me about how this process kind of came to be after (laughs) Searching was released. So I think this is where I should tell
0: you a little bit about Nick, who was my co-editor on both those projects and co-writer and director on Missing. So searching, I edited the proof of concept for that. And then the movie was clearly way too big of a project for one editor to handle. And so the director and producers on that also knew this other editor, Nick. I'd never met him before. We got together for coffee once, and then we just started working on searching. And then we both kind of found out we liked writing and directing. and we realized we had similar taste. So we started talking about writing a script together or making something together. And so we started meeting with other people because Anish didn't want to do another computer screen movie. So they kind of sent some opportunities our way and we started writing some scripts. And then I think because of all that, plus the fact that we had done so much technically to make searching possible, they thought we would be a good option for a missing because of that. I do bet we were a hard sell as just as like editors to go direct to this, like what was now a studio franchise movie. It's a really random, really strange path that that probably would only happen in these computer screen movies. So it's like if any of these things hadn't happened, if it hadn't been a computer screen movie that sold at a studio and then became a studio movie, it probably wouldn't have happened. I doubt I alone would have made this happen without Nick. But we just decided we liked working together so much that we kind of complement each other as a pair. So it just kind of, it came together, honestly, over the course of years, all of Run, you could almost kind of imagine what the trajectory was going to be for a lot okay. of that. You couldn't know for sure, but it was just interesting because I think it's just because Nick and I really like working together so much and at least wanted to write a script together.
1: Yeah. Obviously, this is a hugely collaborative effort and you see co-directors, it's not uncommon, but I wouldn't say it's super common either, right? And so I'm interested to learn a little bit about what was that collaboration like when you were both co-directing? How did you divvy up the roles? And if you were to kind of give a masterclass on co-directing, what would be your biggest takeaway in something like that? <laughs> oh man, I, I, I feel like we really both do everything. We don't really have a way
0: of dividing it up. We do kind of have a, a, I think one time we were like, I think we're like right brain, left brain, but I'm not sure who is which hemisphere. Like we just yeah. kind of are thinking in a different way, but not, dividing up labor like neither of us is more the camera guy or the actor guy and i think the reason we got that shorthand is by working together as editors right. and talking about a story about shot design and about things like that to the point where after years of that you don't need to even communicate quite as much yeah. about some things you just know
1: Right. You just develop that shorthand over time. And because you had the experience in editing when you're in the field on set, it's, it's different, right? You can just say, Oh, it's because what we saw before. I
0: might be misattributing it, but I think it was Ethan Cohen said that his advice to any people who want to become directors is to find a directing partner. And I only saw that about a year ago and I thought Mm. that was hilarious because it worked for
1: me. Yeah. It just kind of came into (laughs) place. huh? Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So, when you're shooting these productions, you have John in the first one and then the incredible Storm Reed in Missing. This cannot be an easy experience for the actors because... What we're obviously perceiving as the audience is that, you know, their eyes are following cursors and all this kind of stuff, but us as filmmakers in the background, we know that a lot of this is movie magic and they're following a bunch of make-believe and I imagine tennis balls or what have you, right? So what was that process like for the actors and what were some of the struggles or things that might've been more unique because of these types of films that are on shared screens that you might not see somewhere else? It was incredibly hard. I mean, Storm showed up
0: ready to face whatever challenge came, but there were definitely a lot of new ones. Our actors told us that in a lot of ways, it was harder than experiences they've had acting in front of a green screen, which I find kind of wild to think about. Even though we had them in the physical locations they're really in, we did try to mitigate the interpersonal connection problem as much as possible by a lot of the actors would very generously come in and just be in the other room actually on facetime Mm -hmm. with her during her scenes which i think helps them be emotionally present in a way that they wouldn't have been just talking to an empty blank space but there are a lot of challenges i think as an actor you are used to blocking your big motions but maybe not your you almost have to block your micro expressions in this movie and still make them authentic and emotional where not micro expressions but like if the actor is leaned this close versus this close the lighting might be entirely different the way it plays might be entirely different And so we'd be asking people to really nudge, you know, like a quarter of an inch to the right and very annoying things like that. Storm in particular still had to give a great performance and she pulled it off, but it's very hard. Eyeline is incredibly hard. We started with a grid of numbers. We made made a grid of numbers, the desktop background of the computer, because we thought that would be a smart way to tell her, you know, look at this number, look at that number. But it turns out that the the eyeline is way more specific than that and tiny little looks Read as huge looks all the way across the computer screen, tiny little flicks of the oh. eye. So we eventually discovered the better way to do it was to create just empty folders on her, on the desktop and place them. Look, look at her on the monitor and place them where her eye line should be. And then we would name the folder the beat that she looks at it. So oh, that was wow. a fun a gimmick that we discovered.
1: Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. that's very good. Yes, take notes. This is masterclass right here. This is very good. <laughs> for an
0: unbelievably specific thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it, though. And, and for this kind of movie, it totally makes sense, yeah. right? Was there a particular shot that you guys were working on? Like, I feel like on every production I've ever been on, there's always like that one shot or the one day where you're like, oh man, I remember scene 12 because holy cow. Was there a moment like that on missing? That was just, this was the scene that holy cow, you really had to pull some old tricks out of the hat to make it come together.
0: I mean, the ending was really kind of, A lot to hold in your brain, just geographically. The one that really comes to mind, though, is that scene where Storm goes to a certain person's office because she thinks she might have found out who the, you know, who's behind it all. And it's kind of all this one take. There are some hidden edits, but it's all shot as one take. And it's from the perspective of her smartwatch. And she had to basically photograph that entire scene herself. And our playback connection, because it was on an iPhone, was not even very good. So it was almost like we were shoving her into a black box and saying, hopefully you get us something good. And we had to keep (laughs) kind of asking. And and it was very stressful, though, because we had actually plotted out tons of tiny little beats that need to happen in the scene that need to be tracked. It wasn't just a random see what happens. Like all these things needed to happen. And we always had to decide, you know, do we want to watch what we just shot or shoot another take up against the clock on that
1: one? But it came out great. Wow. So an intricate choreography, not just for Storm's performance, but also what she's having to do on the watch at the same time, being her own camera yeah. operator to an extent. Exactly. That's incredible. Yeah. That's also interesting you bring that up because obviously when we're watching these movies, it appears as if the whole time they're holding their phones, they're you know, interacting with these devices. But the truth is nine times out of 10, there is some sort of a creative contraption that was derived so that you have operators still operating despite the fact that the actors are basically right on top of what I would imagine are these people. I remember watching the special yeah. features on Missing and you guys got really creative with some of this yeah there were some great rigs yeah Mm -hmm. how did these rigs come to be i imagine this was a huge collaboration between directors the camera team and also art department right
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: steve holler and the dp of this movie is the
0: rig master he likes to create some crazy looking things and it was cool to see yeah like with the computer we had to have a light panel around the computer And you know, similarly with the phone, sometimes you want to be able to light from the perspective of the device. Yeah, that was a really interesting and fun thing to see come together. I had thoughts on it, but it really was that team that kind of built that and it blew my mind to see it. It played really well. We also learned from searching. We used a more Mm. legit camera. We used the Sony A7S rather than searching. A lot of that was shot on real webcams or GoPros. Oh wow. But we decided we're gonna use the A7S and stop down really tiny so that it looks like a webcam but then you have dimension to play with later in color and i do think that was an improvement so we learned a lot from the first movie but yeah there's some cool camera trickery going on and
1: she's always been kind of spotted by people when she's carrying a computer i think one of the things that i love so much about missing and i really to be completely honest didn't even appreciate it until i had watched missing in theaters I got the Blu-ray when it came out. And the reason, if you if you came over to my house, Will, which you would see, is in my living room, I just have this massive wall of Blu-rays. And everybody makes yes. fun of me these days because they're like, what the heck, man? You can just download it or watch it on Netflix and all that. And don't get me wrong. That's all cool. But on those, you rarely find the special features. And as yeah. a movie guy, I love the special mm-hmm. features. And so I mm-hmm. bought Missing... For this very reason, to watch the special features and where I see a little bit of how you guys did all the movie magic to bring it together. And I thought that that was so interesting how this all kind of came to be. But one of the things that I did not realize until watching the special features was that you guys have stuffed this movie and also searching (laughs) with Easter eggs. Left, right, and center. And they're yes. literally in front of your face the entire movie. And then, of course, as soon as I watched the special features and learned about these easter eggs, I went back and watched the movie again, and it, it completely blew my mind. It was like watching a completely different movie. With the style of how these movies are, where they're taking place a lot of times on a laptop or a desktop screen, there's just like when we're on a computer, there's so many things all over the place, whether it's a pop-up ad or different texts in a chain or whatever. And you guys really got into the detail of that. Where was the decision made that we're going to, we're going to go to that level because (laughs) arguments can be made that you didn't have to go to that level, but you did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think on one level,
0: it's just a way to keep a job of making graphics fun. But on another level, I think we all like the idea of Easter eggs on searching. We put a bunch of them in and we kind of all had ideas for them and got excited about, you know, dropping in things and to see if anybody will ever catch them. And then when searching came out, a lot of people did. And somebody even made an exhaustive breakdown of just the tiniest little ones just on his like blog and he seven invited him he was at the missing premiere because it was just like this is incredible you need to come to the missing premiere Um, yeah but when people basically seeing people react to the easter eggs like that we decided you know in missing we're gonna go just truly ham every single thing is gonna be
1: an easter egg in this movie it's incredible Yeah, And again, it just goes to the the detail, right? And, you know, Storm having to have the perfect performance and choreographing that with being her own camera operator. And then you've got the level of the editing and the graphics and everything that's going on. There's just so much detail throughout this. And again, that's what makes this movie so much fun to watch and rewatch, which is not always the case with every movie, but this one really is, you can watch this movie again and again and take different things away. Were there ever any Easter eggs that like are still hidden that weren't necessarily found that you guys were like, Oh yeah, that one, that one's just kind of tucked in there. You know, I actually
0: think there, there might be There's the (laughs) one I put in toward the end that begins. I think it's when there's these villains chatting that she has to download this app that allows you to chat anonymously. And on the website for that, there's some text in there that just in the screenshot on the website there, there are texts that if you do what they're telling you will initiate a scavenger hunt. (laughs) But it's very, very hidden. And to date, I haven't heard of anyone actually doing it. I bet someone has. I personally threw this one in at the last second because I was just thinking, (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how how far people are willing to go. I really genuinely wonder if anyone has ever done it.
1: Well, if you have, please call in to Kyle on the Isle and let us know because I'm dying to hear. (laughs) And I hadn't mentioned it to anybody, but
0: now the movie's been out long enough, I think.
1: (laughs) I'm honored to be the one that you shared this with. This is a scoop. This is a Kyle on the Isle exclusive right (laughs) here. We love this. That's very exciting. And I cannot (laughs) wait to find the scavenger hunt. I hope
0: they didn't accidentally change some very key part of the scavenger hunt. (laughs) without yeah. realizing and it doesn't work but i think it oh, should that's work so funny.
1: okay <laughs> yeah. we're on the hunt now rest assured we will find out where that leads thank you so much for sharing that little scoop oh my gosh i feel so <laughs> special knowing this i'm curious when you're making these productions obviously it takes a village as they say is there in your opinion an unsung hero that have worked on these productions that maybe doesn't get as much credit as uh, they deserve, but that are worthy of a special shout out for bringing these type of movies and productions to life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do have to just quickly mention Natalie Kasabi in the air, who was the producer on missing. She's not an unsung hero. She's just the hero, but, but I haven't <laughs> mentioned her yet. Sure. <laughs> I always think the post, like the edit team and the assistant the edit team are, are really underappreciated on a lot of projects and especially projects like this. This kind of movie almost feels like asset gathering. And then editing is when you're really in the creative flow where you're actually telling the story. So as somebody who came from post myself, I got to give it to the post team.
1: (laughs) I think that's completely fair. And it really is true that like a movie does come together in post and the magic that happens in post. There've been so many times where I'm in the field, I'm on a project. And then when I come into post and a week or two later, you're like, wow you have truly transformed this project from what I thought was going to be a nice piece to holy cow, this is incredible. So yes, to all the post people listening, we cheers you and we thank you for that. That's wonderful. I want to really get into your brain on not necessarily production specific, but in your kind of general industry experience. One of my favorite questions that I like to ask everybody that comes on this show is, you know, we've all worked on different types of productions and there've been productions and days that are very successful and amazing. And you feel like you're on top of Mount Everest. And then there are obviously the days that we've all had, that we all talk about that went on for too long and the camera never even hit record and, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested in what you think makes a production a success. Like if you were to boil it down to one thing, what do you think it would be? Preparation. Oh, give this man. some. <laughs> <prize>.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like trying to pull off a heist in a lot of ways. And I think if you do have the luxury of a, of a lot of shoot time, you can explore and find unique things you wouldn't have otherwise, but it's so rare that you actually do Mm. that you really got to show up, especially for a movie like this, where everything has to fit inside of these narrow visual parameters of being on camera. Like my version of that kind of like being naked in the locker hallway or whatever nightmare and showing up on set and just not knowing what to do. I think there's kind of this, it feels like an invincibility shield if you're like, no matter how inexperienced I am, no matter how many more years you've been doing this to me, If I know exactly what happens in the movie, when we can always communicate, (laughs) like there's always some way to get to that. And so I think you just got to show up knowing what you're trying to do.
1: I think it's a perfect answer for being completely honest. You're the first guest to actually say preparation. We've had a lot of good answers, and they're all good answers because there's all these different things, but I could not agree more. It varies from one movie to
0: another. I love when I see somebody like, I think the Coens have done this or like, or like PTA where sometimes a filmmaker, Nolan maybe too, will start by preparing intensely on every movie and then they kind of get their wings and then they can kind of fly and do and work in a different way that still maybe someday uh, I'll be able to, but right now that's (laughs) not what I would do. I wouldn't come in and just wing it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: absolutely. When you're making these productions, especially in searching where you're kind of writing the book on this new kind of style and way of storytelling, I imagine that there are times where there are going to be creative differences, whether that's internally or whether that's between you and the studios, production houses, what have you. And I'm interested when you come across these type of hurdles, how do you deal with those creative differences? It depends on how well I'm doing
0: emotionally. I mean, you know, you got (laughs) to, you know, I think a lot of the reason that us on this team, because this was really kind of a group effort, this movie and searching, really searching run and missing are kind of all a story of kind of Sev, Natalie, Anish, me and Nick. And then, you know, we had more people come in on missing, but kind of just all being willing to listen to the fairest point, no matter who said it. And even if you disagree strongly, just try to kind of sleep on it before yeah. you come back. Because I think everything, one weird thing about movies is they're so subjective. What makes a movie good? And you can end up in this weird place where you're, you question everything because what do people actually want to see and what will people actually enjoy? Yeah. So I guess you got to just believe that everybody is trying to fight for the best version of the movie possible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. That is part of the crazy behind all this, right? Like the reason that this insanity works is because at the end of the day, we're all trying to do whatever Mm -hmm. our job is to the very best of our ability. And it's when all those things come together that in theory, you get an amazing production.
0: If you really focus on the issue of what you're disagreeing about, then hopefully you can keep solving it. A lot of disagreements are just miscommunications, I guess. Yes. Yes. Or at least I hope so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, well said. Yeah, I think so. It reminds <laughs> me of that scene in Apollo 13 when Ed Harris, you know, gets in front of all these scientists. and He's like, we need to work the problem. Right. Like, I don't care about anything else. We just Or need We to have work a
0: failure to communicate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Work the problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We had a location we liked. We, we were choosing between two houses and we had one house that we liked the overall vibe of more. And we actually had sent the email saying, lock this location in We're yeah. we're set. And then Sev called us. This wasn't a disagreement or a battle of any kind, but it's just a crazy thing of how close you can come and how one person can really save you. He called us and and was just trying to understand how this scene where, God, it's a a huge spoilery scene, but someone comes to her house. And he was like, how do you see them? And we realized we would not have been able to see both people in the scenes faces in the house that we were going to go with until Uh, he just called and he was like i'm sure you guys have a solution but just what is it and then we realized we didn't (laughs) wow
1: and then we switched locations you got to be careful and you got to listen to everybody (laughs) yeah absolutely and 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 prove that you don't always think of everything right and it's a good thing you have people around that do think of the things that you don't think about Yeah. Yeah. Or you kind of did, but you were in
0: some form of denial that it would work out on the day. You got to investigate all those things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very much so. Again, the devil is in the detail. Very much so. Mm -hmm. As I kind of start getting into a few more questions on like the industry as a whole and your experiences and your take on it, as you were kind of coming into your career, did you ever find yourself with a mentor of sorts that was helping you as you were kind of going about this journey? I don't think I ever really had, what would you
0: call like an official mentor, but I learned mm. a, a ton from a lot of people. I think in a way I actually owe working with the team that ended up making searching to an editor professor named Norman Holland I had at USC. And okay. then I think I really learned a lot about how the industry works from Seth. I mean, he kind of just has a way of thinking about things that um, I don't even know if it's how the industry works as much as just how to make good movies. Like he is just a clear thinker. Similarly with a niche, I feel like I got so much about how to just make something emotional, and you know, you don't need to think about am I making something great. You just people just want to feel something while watching your movie, and I don't know. There's been a
1: million people I've, I've learned so many lessons from. I like what you said about people want to watch something to feel something back to kind of the masterclass thought, right? If you're teaching a class of high schoolers that are just coming in and learning about this world and you have the opportunity to instill the best wisdom you can on kind of your version of storytelling one-on-one, what would you pass along? What do you think you've absorbed that is, you know, maybe something that isn't always thought about or a unique perspective when it comes to storytelling? This is the question where I'm going to think of a a great
0: answer as soon as we hang up after this (laughs) talk. uh, This is uh, just from a storytelling perspective. I think maybe this is kind of a platitude, but I think it's really, really important that every story genuinely investigates something that you yourself can't really make sense of or or that is kind of too complicated to, to draw an easy conclusion from. I'm a big fan of story structure. I really like outlining and I really think in those terms a lot, but I think you can't be prescriptive about where the story is going and there has to be some degree of actual emotional honesty there and what you're taking to other people because otherwise you're either painting by numbers or preaching,
1: you know? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think it is about searching and missing and how it is such a unique way to tell a story that resonates with audiences right because like lightning kind of struck twice in this regard so like clearly audiences are digging what you're putting down what do you think is it that hits i think it's really fun to see part of your
0: life that you've never seen in a movie suddenly be presented as cinematic like seeing somebody try to solve a captcha to log into a website is relatable (laughs) just in a funny way but i also think there is something relatable in everybody has this talking point now where they say you know technology is changing us or driving us apart and while that's very interesting to investigate intellectually it's really cool just to put characters in that world and just see what happens without an agenda and i think people feel that when they watch the movie because they feel like they're watching their own just real lives because we spend so much time on things digitally and if you see the story of Both movies are about parents having, you know, a challenging relationship with their kid. And I think just all of us at some point have seen some version of these texts that happen or been on these FaceTime calls and can relate to moments where we maybe don't open up to the people in our life as closely as we could. And maybe that's mediated through technology. You never quite know when you're making it, if it's going to land. And I definitely starting editing on Searching did not realize the extent that would connect with people, but it really did. And so I'm really glad that it did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How do you measure the impact of your work? Is it through the audience reactions? Is it through critic reviews? Is it through box office numbers? What are you most interested in? Oh man, here's what I do. I go
0: look up how much the film has grossed so far in it's theatrical run. Uh-huh. I divide that by the average price of a ticket. And then I multiply that by the amount of time spent watching the movie. So I should see how, much, how many years have collectively been spent by this. the human race. watching. No, I, this is all a joke. That doesn't measure the impact. You know, you could just waste a lot of people's time. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a funny thought experiment to do. And it is kind of actually kind of shocking and a little terrifying when you see the result. Really, though, how, how you measure the impact. Um, I don't know and I don't really think you do and I I almost think it's not your job as the filmmaker you just kind of have to feel that the movie is doing something for people around you that is good and helpful to them I do feel bad if a critic doesn't like it or I feel worse if the audience doesn't like it that's bigger for me but ultimately I mean it's did you feel something in the movie came through that that wasn't easy to say but you managed to
1: somehow express it with the movie yeah Interesting. That's a lovely answer. No, that's very, that's very good. And like, I like that because it, it, it wasn't necessarily the answer I was yeah. expecting you would say, but I think it's very, very deep and in some ways very philosophical. And, and I appreciate it I can definitely respect that answer.
0: I feel like just making movies for most people who do it comes from some need for approval where I don't know if it's even that you want personal validation as much as when you really want somebody to watch it and actually truly enjoy it, yeah. you know, and have a good time.
1: Yeah. Well, and that kind of goes back to the validation that we were talking about when you were mentioning your Sundance experience and why maybe that meant so much to you. Right. Is because ultimately you're right. Like there is a little bit of every filmmaker. We want that validation. We're we're yearning yeah. for that itch to be scratched. Right. And you don't want people to
0: be trying to support you. You want people to to just really just love it. <laughs> love watching it. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: yeah. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You don't just want the oh, that's so cool. Congratulations. Way to go. I'm making yeah. a new movie. But you want people to go, holy cow! I was completely blown away by that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the dream yeah absolutely and i think you've been nailing it i got again i gotta say like you know props were props are due here i went in to see missing and it was it was a random saturday and i was like oh yeah this will be a cool little film and i walked out and i remember it was a packed house it was like probably opening weekend it was a packed house and As I came out of it, everybody in that theater, we were gasping throughout the movie. There were plot twists left and right. And like the audience was on the roller coaster ride the entire time. And when we're walking out, every single person in there was like, man, what a refreshing story. In the world where there's remakes for days and you know, all these things that are not the original content that we like to see and we dream of as filmmakers and lovers of the arts. And this was just such an original, fresh take. I imagine that some of that, you know, obviously you talked about the team that's kind of been the masterminds behind these creations and putting this fresh original work out there. And I'm curious at all, like, where does that come from? Like what stems that fresh work? Is is there a mantra Mm -hmm. that you guys are under? Is there a team slogan on the conference room? (laughs) Wow. That is um,
0: unfortunately not. I do often kind of wonder, are we all just these ingredients? And like, I don't really know what what would happen if you plucked out any one person, you know, what would change, what ideas would never be had that would have been had otherwise. And I think we all just work really well together. I do think that the less every person involved makes it about them, the more people can all bring good ideas together. But- I'm also very familiar with Too Many Cooks, but I just think if you can genuinely leave you ego out of it, it, it helps. But yeah, I don't know. I can't tell you. I, I, I think we're all very terrified that the movie is going to come out and people aren't going to like it. Sure. Or, or alternately, we're caught in like a mania of how much people are going to lose their minds when they see this idea <laughs> that, that you just had, you know. But you can never guarantee that on the next movie
1: going to work out. You just never know. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you never know. And that, I think that's what makes this industry so thrilling in some respects, right? Because what works and is a complete success in one movie may not work even if you carbon copy it for another movie, we've seen this time and time again, right? And then on the flip side, you see these complete unexpected successes that come kind of out of the clear blue sky. So it's very interesting when you look at it in that regard. Yeah, I also love what you said a few seconds ago about the idea that if any one person on your production hadn't been there or had it been somebody else, the entire movie can change. And like we oftentimes don't really stop and think about that because... <laughs> You can talk about both ends of the spectrum, right? On the top end of the spectrum, is like, okay, well, if that executive wasn't there and a different one was there, like, you know, how does that change things? But then you can really take it down to the other end of the spectrum, which is if this one PA wasn't there and a different PA was there and the run was different and they grabbed a different prop. Yeah. Just butterfly effect. Exactly. The butterfly effect. How does this all kind of change things? But that is interesting to think about. And when you see the credits roll at the end of every movie, you see each name and like it really does mean something.
0: Mm -hmm. oh yeah it really does i mean even just spending all this time doing notes on vfx just random green screenshots making all those work everybody who contributes it really really is important and it really matters yeah absolutely and the more people make it the less any person knows what is even coming together like it's kind of a snowball
1: that's part of the movie magic right
0: Yeah. The control freak in me is really scared when I think about that. But yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you end up with something that's more than the sum of its parts. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So is there something that you have your sights set on next? And I kind of mean this in two ways. In one way, I'm interested, like, are you guys actively working on a new production that it maybe falls in line with what you've been doing? And then the other is like, what's kind of like a dream of yours that like you'd love to achieve at some point in, in the future of your film journey?
0: Right. Uh, Nick and I are working together on more ideas. We're writing a script together and then we're also kind of playing with some other more development type of projects. As far as like what's next, it won't be computer screens, but we're thinking about maybe something in kind of a horror world or maybe Ooh. something out in the wilderness or just another thriller. But it won't be the on computer screens and we want to stay formally inventive and subjective somehow i think we really want to tell a subjective story next and that's sure. kind of what a lot of the ideas have in common and then ultimately i do think some bigger kind of and nick always talks about adapting moby dick which i think is insane but that's just you know oh. a true white whale of a, of a thought and then yeah uh, love that uh, i do think tension and thrillers will always be huge for me i'm also a huge sci-fi fan so mm. to get into that some somehow not like gadgety sci-fi
1: but some type of world building thing i think would be really fun to
0: attempt at some point
1: yeah fantastic okay yeah very good all good answers it sounds like you guys are (laughs) bubbling up some new exciting things so i have no doubt that i know i'm excited but i have no doubt our listeners will also be equally excited to see kind of what comes our way next that's very very cool i hope we can get something going it's been a slow year with the strike and all that oh i know thank goodness right like we're, we're past the strikes and we're ready to take the industry by storm once again, right? Yep. Yeah. Let's do it. Amen to that. <laughs> this is where we turn to my favorite part, which is act three. This is the Hollywood hot seat. Our opportunity to ask you 10 kind of rapid fire questions. I know these are tough questions, but I want you to try and give us the very first answer that comes to the tip of your tongue. Hopefully the hot seat doesn't get too hot here, but are you ready to try your luck and play the Hollywood hot seat?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: here we go question number one favorite movie of all time oh i don't know if i really do have favorite movies of all time but i always say
0: the matrix i love the matrix specifically right now (laughs) okay there you go classic answer
1: it's a great (laughs) answer number two favorite tv show oh god i'm so high on succession
0: but probably game of thrones
1: (laughs) oh very good i got the pleasure of working on the prequel. Oh nice. Are you one of those that was happy with the Game of Thrones ending or maybe not so much? Oh no, 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 no. I'm not even <laughs> sure if that's uh, my favorite my favorite T V show might be like
0: Gilligan's Island for all I know when I think about it later, but I do just remember feeling so the cultural moment of Game of Thrones was just so mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Watching it with friends yeah. and
1: But the ending was so – what? yeah, whatever. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. So Game of Thrones on on a good day, but maybe Gilligan's Island later on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he's watching on Nick at Night after he watches his latest episode of Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. (laughs) Good gosh. (laughs) A solid answer. Number three, favorite movie quote. Tears
0: and rain. Tears and rain. Okay. I really, I love that one so much. Maybe tomorrow it'll be different.
1: None of these answers are forever, but we can pretend yeah, they are. Yeah, take what comes to the top yeah. of your mind, right? So I think that's great. Next one here. When we're talking about movie night essentials, what are your must-haves for a cozy movie night at home?
0: Ooh, I am huge on sound. Mm. I really want good sound. Yeah. Not even necessarily like surround sound, but at least some good stereo, you know, and some, some loud I like it to be loud. Obviously, you got to have snacks. but Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say that the one that I'm always thinking everybody's overlooking is the sound
1: when I go over to people's places, watch movies. Good answer. It's a very good answer. All right. Number five, who is a talent that you are dying to work with? Gosh. I, I feel like I cannot give a very good
0: Hollywood answer, so I'm just going to say there's like some Vimeo creators who I think are really incredible and do some amazing visual stuff Yeah,
1: <laughs> who I would love to work with. It's a great answer.
0: Oh, God. There's so many answers, but you're, you might have to... to yeah. If you wanted one, you'd have to wait on me and it could get awkward. <laughs> Nicolas Cage would be so sick. Ooh. I mean, Nick Cage is a good answer. You know who would be really crazy is Christoph Waltz. Ooh. I'm worried some of, the, some of these people would see this stuff. But I feel like that, that would be just insane. It
1: be awesome. He chooses really good movies, though.
0: So better write a good script. That's right. Well, I
1: mean, that hasn't been a problem for you yet. So I have a feeling that these dreams that you have, you could probably come to fruition. So it's <laughs> very good. Number six, what do you think is a, a film score that truly sets itself apart from most movies?
0: I feel like I'm giving very mainstream answers, but I'm thinking Dark Knight off the top of my Ooh. head just so amazing vertigo some of those old Bernard Herman things yeah. yeah and then I love the new Hans Zimmer stuff I love James Newton Howard yes. scores for for Shyamalan movies from back in the day I love movie music so much those are probably some highlights of ones who kind of you go whoa I didn't know a movie could sound like that right
1: I think that's great those are fantastic answers <laughs> <laughs> number seven what's the most memorable onset moment you had thus far in your career Oh man, I'm thinking
0: of like miraculous moments where you don't think something's going to work, but then it magically does. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to call to mind a specific example. I mean, when Storm actually managed to film that take I mentioned earlier on her wrist, we were already deep into overtime and we only got basically (laughs) one usable take. And the fact that it was good was just unbelievable. Walking away thinking how close we cut it and it still worked out. And I love that. That's an addictive feeling too. Maybe a dangerously addictive feeling.
1: When you get the shot after all of the elements and variables come together and make that moment happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it has got to be some version of that. Yeah. yeah. Also shooting the, the, the ending, there's like some police cars driving in and we had a crane and I had nothing to do with any of that. And that was a truly, truly bizarre experience because that was kind of, it was a pickup we shot later where we, I guess, had, had more money because of the point of the production we were at. And I just thought it was so wild as a director to just say, it would be cool if we got this kind of shot and then it actually happened. That was a first for me that yeah. usually you have to fight really hard to get that stuff. And, and seeing that just come together was pretty bizarre.
1: It's fantastic. Very good. Excellent yeah. answer. Number eight. If you're having a dinner party and you can invite any one Hollywood celebrity living or dead to the party who are you inviting david lynch oh i want to see what he has to say oh that's very good (laughs) that's a very good answer i have a feeling he would say a lot of things (laughs) (laughs) very good number nine if you could go back in time and tell your younger self one piece of advice for navigating this crazy world we call hollywood what would you go back and tell yourself
0: wow uh At this point, I'm I'm like, things are going pretty well. Nothing. I would just not touch, don't touch the timeline. Um, (laughs) I would go back and tell myself, you know, not to worry about certain things. Maybe, maybe Mm. that it's okay to not say yes to every single project and, and things like that. But I would be scared for me back then to know that maybe that's part of why things worked out the way they did.
1: It's how you learn and figured it out, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Definitely lots of advice about, I'd have lots of advice about how to actually get paid because it's always harder than you think it's (laughs) going to be. No matter, even when nobody's actually trying to screw you over, it's just always tricky.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, The the start paperwork
0: never seems to end. I would say get an accountant when you get a 1099, get an accountant that year
1: that is that is the advice everyone really needs to hear that that right there is it's if you're listening to this podcast and you're in high school we have ditched the philosophy for a moment yeah to give you the real talk yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely and then number 10 is what is your best piece of advice to you know budding filmmakers and the like
0: mm, mm, mm. do what you love because mm. it's always very hard and if you don't love doing it, it's only going to
1: be harder. Oh, that's beautiful. that That's what we end this on because, gosh, you can't really get much better than that. Wonderful sage words of wisdom from an incredible filmmaker, editor, co-director. The list goes on will merrick this has been an absolute pleasure i'm so so glad we had the chance to come together and talk and allow me to kind of be a fanboy and pick your brain as to how you made these awesome movies come to life and i know that i'm excited to see what happens next so thank you so much for joining us today and thank you for your time
0: thank you it's been great being on here yes such great questions and i'm excited to see what happens next too ah cheers we'll do this again sometime
1: hell yeah all right <laughs> thanks man Kyle on the Isle is an official podcast of Magic Lamp Productions and is recorded in the heart of Hollywood, California. This episode was executive produced and directed by me, Kyle Molson. Produced by Natalie Izquierdo and Lauren Wilson. Editing by Cody Crabb. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it five stars. Every single review goes a long way. And while you're at it, give us a follow on our social media channels. At Kyle on the Isle. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle Olson, and I'll be saving you a seat next time on the Isle. And cut. That's a wrap, folks.